college football talk like you've never heard before. The pinky finger goes up the nose. From the tailgates. He is a terrible tipper and a terrible human. To the touchdowns. He's going for the corner. He's got it. We have everything covered. Place at the table. Here are your hosts, Patrick Maher and Andy Staples. This squad is in the house. Place at the table, week eight, college football in the books. Patrick Maher live from Los Angeles. Andy Staples down in Florida where the drama continues. What's up, Andy? What's going on? I guess, you know what we had? We had, what, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Washington, even Stanford. A lot of big teams on a bye this week. Mm -hmm. And then basically Michigan and USC were on a bye as well. Yeah, that basically. was, uh, I mean, dispirited, embarrassing, gross. Saturday night was supposed to, it was lining up, Andy, for us. It was lining up it, it to was. be perfect. It was, but if you listen to this podcast, you knew what was going to happen in Notre Dame USC. Yep. I mean, the, the stuff that, uh, there were just too many circumstances going against USC. When your whole D-line's hurt against one of the best O-lines. <laughs> against in, Josh Adams. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you know what's going to happen. Now, the Penn State thing, I did not think they would be able to score like that on Michigan's defense. I thought they'd win the game because I, I honestly thought Penn State's defense would force more turnovers and they'd take advantage of short fields. But, I mean, second play from scrimmage, you're like, nope, this is not even going to be a game. All right, we're going to get into those in particular a little bit more as we delve into this podcast tonight's place at the table, pattpodcast.com. Uh, but there was news that came out of Gainesville. And interestingly enough, so McIlwain, who's embattled at this point, kind of a, a weird a team with no identity, comes out this morning and says that is, and you can, you can clean this up for me, but comes out this morning and says his family has received death threats. Yeah, and that players have received death threats. And so naturally, the reporters follow up on it, and he's like, well, let's move along, and let's move along. I don't think he expected anybody to, to follow up, but obviously that's a pretty serious thing. Because nobody absolutely. Like, I don't care how how mad you get at somebody for losing football games. It, it it nothing should ever rise to that level of seriousness. So people took it very seriously that that he said this, and he offered no additional documentation. And so the school put out, or the athletic department put out a statement. It said the University Athletic Association takes the safety of our student athletes, coaches, staffs, and families very seriously. Our administration met with Coach McElwain this afternoon, and he offered no additional details. Now, that last sentence... That is not ride or die. ...is not put out lightly, I don't think. I would imagine there are discussions at the highest levels before you put out a sentence like that. So, it, it, essentially what you're saying is to parse it, um, separating, distancing themselves from not just Very his comments? Very much so. Okay, yeah. Very much so. So, that is, uh, that's not good. And if you're Jim McElwain, be careful because you're safe right now because you won two SEC's titles in the last two years and you got a $12.5 million buyout. But if they have some reason to make that buyout go away and things go badly the rest of the season, you got a problem. So don't give them ammunition to go find reasons to make that buyout go away have we heard from any players or anybody else that you know essentially he brought in the players to it as well right and we hadn't heard it and it's i mean people have gone through twitter trying to find stuff i've look it's not a on the surface if somebody said that i i wouldn't necessarily not believe them because i've seen some 
pretty sure. crazy stuff on social media after people have lost games and, and just sick stuff. Like what, you know, what, what's wrong with you? And yeah, it's, it's a strange situation right now. It's because you don't put that last sentence out there. No. If things are okay. And just to reiterate, what did the school say again? The school said, let me make sure I get this right. Our administration met with coach McElwain this afternoon and he offered no additional details. Like that's an that, additional, that, I mean, that, that in itself is an additional detail <laughs> that you didn't have to put out there, but you did. And you did that for a reason. They just elucidated for us. I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, they just threw him under the bus. Really? They did. It or, wasn't, I mean, kind of passively, but maybe they were, it, it, it's, is it frustration? Well, you can tell us better, Andy, than anybody else. Sports Illustrated, you live in Gainesville. Yeah. What would you say? What's the vibe? What's the temp there? Not it, figuratively. And then what would you say if we just took everybody that was a Florida Gator fan? Where do they stand on McIlwain? The, the the fan base is checked out on him. Okay. It's, it's interesting because they've always been a little more negative toward him than everybody else. Uh, fans of other schools are like, dude, what's your problem? Even he with the dominant defense. Okay, so even with yeah. the dominant defenses, the fan base was still not right. all in. Yeah, people at other schools are like, why are you complaining? You got it pretty good. And I think that's probably Jim McElwain's philosophy as well is, is look, things have been pretty good. You won two East titles, double digit wins and stop complaining. Right. And the thing is though, the, the fans, their standard is a little bit different. Their standard is compete for sec titles, compete for national titles. And what the, you know, the coaching staff would say is we are competing for sec titles. We played in the sec championship game the past two years. And what the fan base will say is, but you didn't compete in that game either the last two years. So that's that's sort of the disconnect there. How how does his uh, recruiting class forecast? Um, it's it's okay right now. And it's interesting because this time last year it was not okay. And then they, they closed fairly strong. And so, I mean, it, but that's, it's it's a very odd, very odd situation right now. And, you know, we'll we'll see how the recruiting goes as the rest of the year goes on because the Georgia game, you know, doesn't look good for them. Now, Georgia has underperformed in this game basically since Steve Spurrier got there, except in years that end in seven. Very strange situation about that, by the way. Hmm. 1997, Robert Edwards scores four touchdowns, and they destroy Florida. It's the first time they've beaten Florida with Spurrier coaching them. 2007... They have the party in the end zone. You know, they, they yeah. score a touchdown. The whole team comes on the yep. field. Yep. And then Noshaw Moreno just dis- absolutely annihilates Florida's defense. So those those two games are, are kind of outliers because the other games that Georgia's won post-1990 have been they're way better than Florida, but the games are way too close. Hmm. But it's a year that ends in seven. Georgia appears way better than Florida. I know who I'm picking. So, okay, let's let's hold off on Happy Valley in South Bend, which we'll get to. Let's touch on a few things, and, and so that's the drama down there in Gainesville. Interesting. I, I when I wrote when I woke up and I saw that, it, was he trying to get empathy? Was he being serious? Like, if he was providing the university with no additional information, was he really that worried about safety? Uh, right, exactly, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you don't drop that out there unless you plan on following up with some specifics and it's kind of a big deal you don't have to follow up with specifics publicly but you do when your boss asks you 
Yeah, no, it's I, absolutely. Place at the table! <laughs> All right, Andy, we've got uh, that buyout life coming up. What's good wherever you ate up at Happy Valley. But so right now, undefeateds Bama, Penn State, Georgia, TCU, Wisconsin. Um, who am I forgetting? South Florida, Central Florida. There's one more. Miami. Yep. Miami with a win over Syracuse this weekend. But can we start with the state of Arizona? Like, we can. Can we start That's, with it's crazy. And and eventually the Pac twelve is gonna let Khalil Tate play on direct TV. Khalil Tate has Or uh, I guess it's not the Pac twelve, it's Fox and, and ESPN not picking Arizona games and then winding up on the Pac twelve network. But I want to see Khalil Tate play, and I'm a DirecTV subscriber. Well, if you watched him over his last three games in October, 694 yards rushing and 76% completion percentage. He's averaging 11 point, like 11.5 or 11.6 yards a complete. Uh, I'm sorry, 11.5 or 11.6 yards an attempt, which are Mason Rudolph numbers. So th- that is absolutely ridiculous. And Arizona went to Cal. Uh, and beat Justin Wilcox's Cal team. And look, 45-44 overtime. Cal goes for it on two. Like, that was, um, excuse me, goes for two uh, and doesn't convert. So Arizona, five and two now. Yes. So we're going to get to that that buyout life. Rich Rod, no longer on the bus. Yeah, and, and Todd Graham, maybe not either. Let's see what happens. But So USC plays Arizona State in Tempe this weekend. If If, if Arizona State beats USC... We may be heading toward a world where the winner of the Arizona-Arizona State game <laughs> plays Stanford for the Pac-12 title, which is Larry Scott's nightmare, the, the commissioner of the Pac-12, because there's no way that anybody's getting in the playoff. It, if Arizona State played Stanford for the Pac-12 title, that would be two teams that lost to San Diego State playing for the Pac-12 title. And San Diego State just lost to Fresno State, although right. Fresno State playing well. Real quick, Arizona. How about Jeff Tedford? I, how about, remember, you clowned him. I said it. I, I know, like, I did. I was like, yeah, but Tedford's there. You're like, yeah. I'm stupid. Hey, Arizona State, by the way, maybe even more, an imp- like going to Utah and beating Utah 30-10. to 10, Yeah. I mean, those are two, the, that's a big the win. the touchdown was garbage time. Yeah. So, I mean, that. They, they're rolling defensively, and so it, it. What it sounds like is is Todd Graham has let defensive coordinator Phil Bennett start really calling the defense, and Graham is resisting his natural impulses to call zero blitzes and just sell out and try to you know send eleven guys at the quarterback. That's been Arizona State's problem. The reason they gave up thirty points a game, at least thirty points a game for eleven consecutive games, is they would just sell out so often that. If you get burned on a play like that, that you gamble like that, you get burned, it's a touchdown. And so now Todd Graham might be going up to Phil Bennett and going, hey, zero blitz here. And Phil's like, nope, we're good. So he said bye-bye-bye to the headset and bye-bye-bye to being a micromanager. That's what you're saying, Todd Graham? Uh, yeah. Okay. The a couple other notes that I have: Florida Atlantic, Lane Kiffin's team rolled up 804 yards over the. How did he even have enough touches to get 804 yards? But that's a ridiculous <laughs> number. Yeah. I mean, 804 total yards is is wild. Um, Rutgers, by the way, congratulations. Bad loss. Two for- two Big Ten wins. <laughs> I thought that there was their first Big Ten win. What, am I wrong? No, they beat no, Illinois. They beat Illinois the week they before. They beat Illinois at Illinois. But by the way, we, we do have to, you know, going back to what you were saying about Lane Kiffin, the the score of that game, we have to comment on, you know, 
it was sixty nine thirty one. So nice. It's just it's just so lane, right? Exactly. <laughs> but eight hundred and four total yards is I, I, when they hit sixty nine. Do you think that he's like we got to take knees from now on? He started just giggling. We cannot possibly score again. <laughs> started giggling like a pothead, a horny pothead. Um, yeah. How about Rutgers though? Purdue. Purdue had what Wisconsin the week before, and then yep. Iowa, Michigan. So they had their big meat of the but schedule. You, you knew Purdue was going to score that touchdown at the end. Yes. You knew it. Yes. And I I figured they might hit the two point, and we get like nine over times because because why not why why wouldn't a game that t- ended tied at 14 14 end at like 96 to 94 but nope Rutgers stops it and hey Chris Ash is, I think Chris Ash is doing a pretty good job considering what he took over well I don't think I know that Matt Campbell's doing a really good job yes it, he is that's why we do the buyout life because you know it, it something can change so quickly with the program and, and goes to Texas Tech and Iowa State another big win yeah and you know who they play on Saturday? Who that? TCU. Undefeated 7 and 0 TCU. Mhm. Yeah, Iowa State is playing really well and it's, you know, we when they went to Oklahoma and Kyle Kemp became the starter at quarterback, we're like third string walk-on quarterback. Uh-oh, they're in trouble. But he's the one who sort of unlocked the offense. Mhm. So, you know, what whatever works, man. And Matt Campbell, the thing with with Iowa State is a lot of it is belief. A lot of it is making players believe they can win after you've taken over a program that's pretty downtrodden. And Iowa State had some upsets under Paul Rhodes. It wasn't like they were complete. It wasn't like they were Kansas. But they beat they Texas once. I remember they they did beat Texas. They they beat Nebraska once. You know, back in the day when when they were still in the Big Twelve. But it it wasn't going that well for Paul Rhodes and. It, it, interestingly enough, the year they shut out Texas, this is all you need to know about where Texas was at that time. It was uh, Charlie Strong's first year, and they shut them out. And, and Texas is like, and, and every they still fired Paul Rhodes. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, normally, if Iowa State had beaten Texas, it'd be like, oh, season maker. So, but that's that's where they're at. I I think TCU goes in there and wins, but uh, the way they're playing right now, and. If Matt Campbell wins this one, who boy, Scott Frost will have some company on the uh, on the hot coach of the moment bus. Let's stick with the Big Twelve though, because how about Oklahoma? So Kansas State was beating Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and then Oklahoma comes out in the second half and drops thirty two points on Baker, him. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfielded. Yeah, he he was he a was lot crazy in the second half. Um, I was updating that one on my phone, and I'm just like, wow, Kansas State going to beat them up? And then they went. I mean, Oklahoma, the Sooners went nuts in the second half. Yeah, no, it, I mean, that is Baker Mayfield at his best when he's improvising. Yes. He's just, he just has to get them a touchdown, and he goes and gets it. Yeah. And he, and he had, like, three situations in that game, it felt like, where he had to or they were done. Mm-hmm. And he did it. Yeah. And then you got Oklahoma State going to Texas. Cannot run the ball against a three-man line and two linebackers in the box. Yeah, and barely. That was bizarre and all the uh, like all the Oklahoma State fans are tweeting at me they're like why doesn't he throw the ball like because he knows if you throw the ball into this coverage you're getting picked off so credit to Mike Gundy for not freaking out and not trying to force anything and just knowing that his defense was going to be or well hoping that his defense was going to come through and they eventually did which they did Texas's offense is bad their line is really banged up they're not going to score on a lot of people but 
Gundy should be worried going forward because now I don't think there are enough. I don't think there are any other defensive lines in the Big Twelve that can shut down Oklahoma State's running game with three down linemen. Maybe Oklahoma, but probably not. But that is the book has now been written on that offense. If you if you're good enough on the D line, that's the book. Yeah, and, and Texas started playing well in the second half against Oklahoma defensively, and kind of. It, but that's what thirteen ten. So Oklahoma State, it, is there something because you, you liked them a lot coming into the year, not not out of it, but it was is there something about them that has surprised you in a negative? Yeah, that that they can't block well enough to to run. I, okay, in a normal situation with two teams that are fairly evenly matched, or even even if one team's a little bit better than even if the defensive team's a little bit better than the offensive unit. If there are three down linemen and two linebackers in the box, you should be able to gain about eight yards of carry. They were gaining like two yards of carry. Hmm. Like that is that is an indictment of your offensive line. TCU is is Kansas. If Kansas plays BYU right now, hmm. Oh, good lord! If but why? I don't know. <laughs> No, your eyes would start bleeding Are if you had even, to watch that game. Like when we do the, that buyout life, is Beatty? Do we even put the Kansas head coaching position on the bus? Because- it's weird. I keep talking to people and I keep getting different answers on this because it's either well, I mean, you got to because they're they're just pitiful right now, or it's how can you do that? They were in such bad shape. You have to give the guy at least five years to to give him a chance, or it's just going to be like this forever. And I don't know what the answer is to that. I mean. Weiss put them in a really bad place. He nuked a couple recruiting classes by basically going all JUCO. And so when David Beatty got there, they had very few scholarships. I think they had like – their scholarship numbers were in the 50s. And you, you get 85. Hmm. So wow. that takes multiple recruiting classes to even get back to being where you can be on the field with some people. By the way, that's even a bigger indictment of Texas losing there last year. But – yeah. That's the problem right now, and I don't know if they're going to be patient enough because they are committing a bunch of money to football facilities, and you know it, it could be one of those things where they say, listen, we're spending all this money on football. We can't be this pitiful. We have to try to change it. I mean, it's as bad as it gets. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think if you do that, you do run the risk of just repeating the cycle. Any thoughts? West Virginia beating Baylor thirty. How about Matt Rule? Poor Matt Rule. They're going to they're, they're going to catch gonna one beat somebody. They're they're going to. They're not terrible. They're just they're depleted. Their numbers are down, but they're not terrible. They they are going to beat somebody eventually. And West Virginia needed to survive this scare because look, West Virginia's still in the hunt. Yep, they got a Big Twelve loss, but it's to TCU. So you know, as long as TCU keeps winning and they beat everybody else, they'll get a chance to play TCU again. And still feeling really good about the decision to write the feature on old David Sills. <laughs> He's a touchdown machine. He really is. Golly. He really, really is. They told me, the coaches told me, like, this. no, this guy's really good. You'll see. He's ridiculous. I, but sometimes coaches just tell you that. No, they meant it. They were not kidding. Um, uh, how about we'll just jump around a little bit here before we get into the biggies. Also, that buyout life and what's good with Staples. 
listening to Place at the Table. How about – so Miami holds on. Miami was uh, much better in Syracuse in the first half or better mm-hmm. than Syracuse in the first half. And then Syracuse is doing – and this is why Babers, I think, is even going to be looked at even more. Mm-hmm. So they, halftime adjustments. He saw it against – uh, And Barbers. He saw it against LSU. Obviously what happened with Clemson. Uh, but Syracuse comes out and plays better – and always keep, is keeping these games tight. Yeah, I, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that, but but you're exactly right. You go back to the the, the LSU game. They did exactly the same thing they did against Miami because against LSU, LSU was actually running away with the game mm-hmm. at one point. It was like twenty eight to ten, or uh, maybe even bigger a bigger deficit than that. And then Syracuse just started chip 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 chipping away, right. and that's exactly what they did to Miami too. So yeah, I mean. That is another good sign. If you're if you're going through your checklist of things I want in a coach, makes them play better than they are, makes them believe, makes great adjustments in mm-hmm. game. Those are all very, very good things. They're all on the checklist. Andy, you were up at Happy Valley, mm-hmm. and we'll find out more with uh, what's good. Uh, what would you say coming into this game. Now, remember, Michigan beat down Penn State last year 49-10. Franklin seems like a grudge holder. Seems oh, like, yeah. It seems like did the you, type of two did that Did you we- happen to notice the last <laughs> series of the game? Well, did you happen to notice that they could have taken two knees Of course, they kept running plays? He wasn't stopping. No. No. Now, he wasn't throwing. No. But... He was going to run plays, and if that back had gotten into the end zone, oh well. Well, uh, they didn't necessarily need to throw when your second play from scrimmage is a Saquon Barkley direct snap for 69 yards. So if you want to read about that play in particular, uh, go to SI.com, my punt, pass, and port column. The lead item is about that play mostly, and it was one that they worked on in camp. It's It's, well, the formation itself, it's one of the cooler Wildcats you'll ever see because normally when you go to the Wildcat, the tailback gets behind the center and the quarterback goes and splits out like a receiver. Mm. That usually the quarterback doesn't do much after that. You have to send a corner out there just to keep keep him honest so they don't throw it to him for a touchdown. But usually that person doesn't do anything. That was taken to its most hilarious extreme by Jay Cutler a few weeks ago <laughs> in a Dolphins game. Right. Where he just stood there, like every smoking Jay Cutler meme you ever saw, times 100. You know, the, the, the Jay Cutler urinal story. I'm sure you've wait, heard that. Wait, hold on now. You've never heard the Jay Cutler Even urinal Dustin story? Dustin just perked up about that. What is the Jay Cutler urinal story? This, this can't a, end well. This is an urban legend about Jay Cutler that no one seems to be denying. Uh, that some somebody... <laughs> Some guy sees Jay Cutler at a urinal at a restaurant or something and starts talking to him. And the guy is either he either went to Vanderbilt and knows some of the same people or is from the same hometown in Indiana and knows some of the same people. But it's but it's basically saying, Hey, you know, how you doing? I know some some dudes you know, blah, 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 blah. Just making small talk. And Cutler, according to the legend, and I don't know if it's true or not, throws his head back and goes, don't care. <laughs> so I can just imagine him doing that on that wild. Because if you saw him on that wild yes. play, you see him with his hands on his hips. If in the middle Hashtag of it, he just don't care. He just put his head back and said, "Don't care." Literally, that's what. So that's usually what happens on a wildcat play. What Joe Moorhead, Penn State's <laughs> offensive coordinator, did was said, "Listen, Trace McSorley runs as well as most running backs." 
So instead of splitting him out wide, why don't we just have him and Saquon switch places? So they did. And so the play starts, and it's and they block it just like a, a regular old inside zone. But instead of Trace putting the ball in the belly of Saquon for the read option, Direct Saquon snap. puts the ball in Trace's belly. And so they block it like an inside zone. Like Trace is going to take the ball moving from left to right and go around the right edge on the short side of the field. And you watch Michigan's defense. The D-line and the linebackers all flow very fast as soon as they see the offensive linemen reach right, which in an inside zone, the line will, will reach block pretty much across the board. And so when you see that as a defender, that's the play you you go to, to deal with because they're going to leave somebody unblocked at the end of the line, which they did, and then the quarterback will decide whether he should keep it or let the back take it, but they're going to go that way. So, But this play was not designed for that. That was the that was the decoy. McSorley is heading that way. Saquon is going to keep the ball and go to the left. So the one guy on the offensive line who doesn't do the reach block thing is the left tackle. He pass blocks, mm-hmm. which causes Rashawn Gary, the defensive end, to rush up field like you would on a pass. Well, that is just enough space for Saquon Barkley to slip through. And once he does, because the linebackers have flowed hard to the other in the other direction, there is nobody with an angle on Saquon Barkley, and he is gone. 69 yards for a touchdown. Nice. Pater. You can see more, uh, a bigger breakdown of that, SI.com, Andy Staples. He's got the punt pass pork. Now, let's back up just a little bit before the game started. What was what was your vibe there at Happy Valley? Did you talk to uh, if anybody leading up to the game? Uh, where did this stand? I, you know, 49-10, again, I clown Franklin, but this was a perfect spot. It's a very complete team. It is a very complete team, and that's the, the thing I think that they were hoping to show is is they're pretty good on defense, too. Now, look, Michigan's offense hasn't set the world on fire exactly, but they're pretty good at, at times, and, you know, the defense usually puts them in a little better field position than, than they were getting against Penn State, although they did – you know, have a couple turnovers that, that they turned into points. But for the most part, in the second half, Penn State's defense just clamped down. And they were putting tons of pressure on O'Corn. So the way they played in that second half tells me they might be able to do to JT Barrett what they did to him last year. And that's the key. I mean, they got to survive this gauntlet in the Big Ten. They've survived Michigan. Now they got to play Ohio State in Columbus, and then after that at Michigan State. They have to win this one against Ohio State. They go 506 yards on offense against that Michigan defense. Yep. Now, let's take a look at that. The... And you, that means you can do that against Ohio State, too, yeah. as good as Ohio State's defense is. If you can do that against Michigan, you can probably do it against Ohio State. So the Big Ten East right now, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, then Michigan. I mean, The numbers are floating around because everybody's obsessed with Harbaugh, but he's 6-5 yeah. and five in his last 11. He and Butch Jones are, are just about even. That, that's the, so that's the new comparison. It was – Compare him to Brady Hoke at the same point, which you can still do. They still have the same record through through so this many funny. games. But now it's compare him to Butch Jones in the last 11 games. Did you – I don't know if you had a chance to talk to him. Um, it, it, where do you stand on – I mean, it is such a, such a difference between the Hoke regime and now what's going on with Harbaugh. So it's a joke to talk about that stuff, but the numbers, I guess, compel people. Well, I, I went to the Penn State – 
post game interview session, so I didn't get a chance to to talk to Harbaugh or anything. But you know, I, I don't I don't see it that way. I, I realize the record is what it is, but I feel like that program is in a lot better place than they were at this point in the Brady Hoke regime. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think somebody from Penn State told me that basically Michigan next year will be what Penn State is this year in terms of guys having experience and having played in big spots that they'll be that type of veteran team like Penn State has right now. And if they figure out the quarterback thing, that that would be enough to win you the Big Ten. So I don't think you just (laughs) – I don't think you bail on the Harbaugh era – quite yet I think there's there's still time yeah they don't obviously not a ton of confidence in O'Corn but they couldn't run the ball either I mean they were getting no. stuff and that was Penn State that was uh, Michigan's line's not perfect but that was Penn State having a really good defensive line good linebacker Sean Spencer the the D-line coach at Penn State is one of the best D-line coaches in the country uh it's that that defensive whole staff is really good Brent Pry is the the defense coordinator they don't get talked about as much as as Joe Moorhead on the other side of the ball but they're all very good coaches. They were very good coaches when they were Vanderbilt, too. So I think it's one of those cases where they've got very smart, very good athlete, veteran players, good coaches, and the players are doing exactly what the coaches tell them to do. They're exactly where they need to be on every play. That makes up for a lot. I mean, if you put man-for-man Penn State's defense against Michigan's defense in terms of you know where will these guys get drafted and all that Michigan has much more raw talent probably but Penn State has a bunch of good players who have played a lot and know what they're doing and now and they also have some some special players like Jason Cabenda who is you know smart a great athlete is all over the field so I mean they're they're what you want you know you want Veteran D line, veteran O line, tough. That's a that's the type of team that wins titles, and that's what that's what Penn State has. Now, here's the thing: they're about to play a team that has veteran D line, fairly veteran O line. They're tough, so I mean, it, it it's a little a little more even matchup here in the in the game in Columbus than it was against Michigan. Yeah, we'll find out more. You mentioned such a brutal part of the schedule for Penn, for Penn State, but as far as a gap. Bama and Penn State. Alabama really hasn't p- played anybody. I don't think there's that big of a gap. You don't think there's that big of a gap? Two. Okay. No. I, I I, think, you know, Penn State, it's interesting. If Penn State played Alabama, who's the best player on the field? Is it Saquon Barkley or Micah Fitzpatrick? That may actually be how I decide my Heisman vote. <laughs> like that hypothetical game. Yeah. Because like, th- those two are two of the best players in America. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. On a very short list of the best players in America. Penn State's but, offense, too. The receivers are underrated. They're just really good. Yeah, Deshaun Hamilton had a great game. Mike yeah. Gesicki is, is – I mean, Gesicki only caught two passes, but they're both huge. One was on the, the second drive, and it was an absolute lollipop by, by McSorley, who if he was throwing to anybody else, it would have been intercepted. Yeah. But Gesicki goes and gets it. And he did the same thing. It wasn't a lollipop throw, but it was a, a tough catch – put where only he could make it along the sideline deep in, in Michigan territory on the second catch. And he caught that too. So I mean, he, he came up in some big spots. Hamilton came up with some third down catches that, you know, I just, I like that roster a lot. I, I I'm, I'm pondering how I'm going to pick, you know, this week. And 
you think Ohio State has I, all these great I players. I sense a and, lean from Mr. Yeah, Staples. No, I, I like Penn State's I roster sense a, a lean. lot. Now, you called this one, and, you know, for some reason, it's almost like when I think of USC this year, I just get tired. For some, I know there's no bye, yeah, but... Yeah, just, they're, they're tired, too. They're tired, That's too. The problem. And you know what they love to do? They love to turn the ball over. Three more USC turnovers. If you blinked, obviously, uh, quickly, it was 28-0 Notre Dame. They end up beating USC 49-14. to Could have been worse. Yeah. So, so Notre Dame headed into the teeth of their schedule, now 6-1, and after a 4-8 and year last year. Yes, Notre Dame now will go from playing an absolutely decimated defensive line against USC to one of the best in the country against NC State. So coming off a, a bye, NC yeah. State coming off also a bye. Also coming as well. off a bye. And and you know my philosophy on that, Patrick. <laughs> Always watch the bye weeks. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame was coming off a bye this past week. So yeah, no, I think I, I think it's gonna be an interesting one. With USC, uh, my co host on Sunday mornings on Sirius XM, Tom Luganville, who also works for ESPN. Yeah, he does a lot of the recruiting coverage, and he was pointing out that, that USC is just not special on either line of scrimmage. They're, they don't have the special players that they used to have on the offensive and defensive lines, and it showed. Notre Dame has some special players, uh, specifically Mike, Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson on the offensive line. Yeah, their Jared, offensive line looks like it's – I mean, it's, it's a veteran group it's, too. It's a veteran group of grown-ass men. Mm. And then you got Jerry Tillery on the D-line. They're – they're not exceptional on the D-line, but they're good enough. And, I mean, I think they play a fun offense now. They do, but they are they going to be diverse enough once, you know, obviously they got past USC, but Josh Adams, 191. Wimbush ran for 106 yards. Yeah, the, the question is, can Wimbush throw them to a win if, they sh- if somebody shuts down the run game? And I think he might be able to. I mean, some of the throws we've seen him make are pretty good. Yeah, he's now, really impressive. He hasn't really been put in that situation yet, so we don't know how he'll handle the pressure of that deal. You know, does he throw a pick or two? Does he try to force something in? This may be the week that he gets forced into that situation because Bradley Chubb and that that NC State D line, those guys are sick. Hey, by the way, after it got so ugly with the porn looking dude Van Gorder, the, this <laughs> defense, this defense has allowed twenty or less points in every game this year. Even their loss, I believe, Georgia scored nineteen. Yeah, Mike Elko, you know, go back and watch what he did at Wake Forest. I mean, I don't want to make you watch because it wasn't a big name. Like it wasn't nationally a big name when Kelly hired him. Yeah, but uh, my friend Adam Rittenberg from ESPN made the point that that might be the best assistant coaching hire of the offseason. And I, I tend to agree because that was where they were deficient. They were fine on offense last year. You know, it wasn't like they, they changed offense coordinators because they weren't good on offense. Mike Sanford got a head coaching job. So they just had to get a little bit better on defense. And remember, they were 4-8, and eight, but they were not blown out in all those losses. Some of the losses, in fact, most of the losses were pretty close. So if you can correct the side of the ball that's the problem, all of a sudden those losses turn into wins. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Elko, you know, you, you go back to Wake Forest – he never had the most talented players, but he always had them in the right place. And you get at Notre Dame, you have smart players. They will learn quickly what you need them to learn. And he runs a defense that isn't nearly as complicated as what Brian Van Gorder did. Brian Van Gorder tried to run an NFL defense in college. Well, you don't have enough time to teach an NFL defense in college. Yeah, You don't get enough time with the players. So what Mike Elko does is instead of just trying to force it, and, you know, then blame it on the players. 
he does what what will work for them and you're seeing the fruits of that right now i'll tell you what he didn't seem to be overly effusive when he talked about zaire or kaiser he kelly loves wimbush which that's the thing i know he said that he thought kaiser might have needed another year but i don't think they were that broken up about kaiser leaving and zaire saw the writing on the wall he's not dumb he he saw what was happening that wimbush was the guy right yeah, no, he's in. It's hey, everything's looking up right now for the yeah. Irish. Um, but they're again. You've mentioned this many times. It's they got past USC, but NC State. It almost seemed to me like you were saying NC State was going to be a bigger challenge than USC. They are, and I and I think I think I totally agree with that. And they still have Stanford, who's playing well. They still have Miami. Uh, Miami. Miami. It's it is the toughest back half of any team in the country because. We haven't mentioned the two quote-unquote easy ones because they're not easy. Navy. Navy and Wake Forest. Wake Forest is the easiest one, and it's kind of medium. It's a medium difficulty game. Navy is difficult. I don't care how good Navy is. I, I know Zach Abey got hurt against UCF. Don't care. Navy's tough no matter when you play them because not just because of what they do to you during the game, the effect on you the next week is another issue. Brian Kelly after four and eight. He's no longer on the Find bus. out who is on the hot seat, what jobs could open up, which coach could be getting paid to stay at home. It's time for That Buyout Life. I mean, I guess technically, really, you know, coming into the season would be foolish, but after four and eight, Kelly needed a year. He's getting a year, so he's not on the bus. That buyout life here on Place at the Table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just start with poor Butch. I mean, I isn't it really at this point just almost too much? I mean, well, they had another decommit, so they had a decommit. Okay, that recruiting class after the Bama game. I think if they lose to Kentucky, they'll just do it. It's I had a, I had a guy call into my radio show on on SiriusXM on Sunday and say, "I'm 39 years old, and I'm a Tennessee fan, and for the first time in my life, I'm afraid of Lexington, Kentucky." <laughs> that is one of the more telling statements that you will hear from a And they could easily lose to Kentucky. They uh, could. Obviously. They could. And Kentucky's coming off getting just hammered by Mississippi State. So Kentucky needs a bounce back pretty bad. Yeah, I mean Alabama there was they just can't get anything out of the quarterback. They're just they're bad. And I I don't know and you mentioned um you've laid out the reasons for and and why they shouldn't do it early, but at this point I, I think it's almost depressing. Well, at this point, you're not saving a recruiting class. Right. So it doesn't... It you might does inspire a recruiting class if you get rid of them. Well, that's the other thing is you may need to signal to the ones who are left who, who are committed because they like the program and the school and they want to go to school in Knoxville and, and that sold them more than the coaching staff. You might want to explain to them, hey... Change is coming. We're some. We're working on it. Yeah, and especially yeah. the un, un, undecided kids can see Baber's speech after that Clemson game, and they're going to want to play for him at Tennessee. How dude, about that, dude? If John Curry hired Dino Babers, I would be, you know, eight thumbs up on that hire. I oh, think that'd be a good hire. He's not on. He's he's not on a part of that buyout life. But Jimbo going after the fan. Uh, well, it's, yeah. it, it's it's not. I a don't good blame look. Jimbo for saying that. I would. I, I'd I'd probably say the same thing. But I no. But he lied after, and he said, uh, you know, I got to protect my 
kids. Yeah, it wasn't the kids. It, it was your it was your assistant coach. They were talking about the guy was yelling yeah. to change the coaches. Yeah. 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 And he, he you know, look, he's very loyal to the, his assistant coaches, too. And what they want is they want changes at defensive coordinator, offensive line coach. They also want Jimbo to either call plays differently or let someone else call plays. They, because they, they're the slowest offense in America, they go for the fourth. They go for it the least on fourth down. Yeah. Um, he and this is it's interesting because up to this point he had approximated the Nick Saban program more closely than any other former Saban assistant who got a head coaching job. But now we're seeing what the what the one difference is. The one difference is. Nick Saban is offense agnostic. He does not care as long as it gets points and helps him win games. He'll do anything the rules allow him to do as long as it gets him points and wins him games. You know, he's still it's still based on pro style principles and on teaching your offensive linemen all the things they need to do to be successful, you know, in a three point stance or a two point stance. But they run tons of read option. They ran all those jet sweeps, which they've kind of dialed those back a little bit. But they are going to do whatever they have to do to score. Jimbo wants to run an, an offense that looks like this, that is this way, that huddles up, that does. It, it's not the same thing. And they're, they're two and four. They they are, and so Florida Florida State might be a game that determines bowl eligibility for the winner. And the loser, of, of course, <laughs> the loser would not go go to one. Hmm. Uh, that's a distinct possibility. That could happen. UCLA beats Oregon. Oregon been fading. Oregon's been fading, though. Um, yeah, once Justin Herbert went down, Oregon's offense completely fell apart. Their defense wasn't w- was better, but not that good. So that's more. Uh, and then um, your guy. Picks up a win at Ole Miss, so Ogeron looks to be. I don't know if he was going to. The buyout was big, a prohibitive, but I don't. I don't think he was necessarily in trouble, was he? Ogeron, no, he wasn't. Okay. Now Joe Oliva might have been the the AD, but Ogeron would not have been fired this year. He would have gotten another year to figure it out. And look, he messed up with the Troy game and, and with telling Matt Canada don't run all these shifts and motions, and. Oliva came to him and said, hey, you, you told me when we hired you, you weren't going to do that. Don't do that. And Orgeron said, okay, won't do it. Now, three three wins later, he's fine. And, you know, I didn't think they played very well defensively against Ole Miss. And once Shea Patterson went down, that was it for Ole Miss, obviously. Um, you knew their offense was going to get some, some confidence. You knew Darius Geis was probably going to have a big game just because Ole Miss's run defense is not good. But... I as as well as they've played since the second half of that Auburn game, I still can't see them hanging with Alabama. They're going to have to be a lot better offensively to to be in the game with Alabama in the fourth quarter. Now, they did they did it last year cuz Alabama went ultra conservative. Please Jalen Hurts don't make a mistake and just waited him out and eventually Jalen Hurts broke a run off on a on a kind of a broken play where uh, it was a pass play, but he got flushed from the pocket and ended up taking it down the middle for a touchdown. I don't know that, that LSU is going to be able to stop Alabama the way they did last year. So they're going to need to generate some points, and I'm not sure where they come from. Yeah, the buyout life. That buyout life bus is, is kind shrinking. Of, it's kind of shrinking. It's quieted well, down. Here's the thing. They're, 
people who are working their way back, Steve Adazio, for example, Kevin Sumlin, if things fall apart down the stretch, then we'll be talking about them in a different way. But I, I actually think someone's going to be okay. Can I bring up a name that it probably will make you sad, but it's yeah. your beefcake fedora. North, North Carolina's one and seven. It's fine. Everybody knew this was going to be a lost year. Yeah. It's, it, it really is fine. And, and look, if North Carolina, and I don't, I know Bubba Cunningham, the AD, was not, will not do this because he understands completely what the circumstances have been. North Carolina getting better since Larry Fedora was hired, getting to the point where they won their division in the ACC, gave, gave Clemson a game in the ACC title game, was a, a miracle of, of recruiting and coaching. Because since Larry Fedora has been there, he has been recruiting against coaches who, who kept telling his recruits, you know they're going to get the death penalty, you know they're going to get the death penalty, you know they're going to get the death penalty. And so, yes, they get to a year now where they lose their starting quarterback, their best three receivers, their best two running backs, their, their best offensive tackle. Of course, they were not going to be very good this year. Of course not. But he can now go on the recruiting trail and say, no, we are not getting the death penalty. In fact, we're getting nothing. Now come here to this very nice school close to your home where you get a good education. Now, you won't get the freebie classes anymore because they don't do those anymore. But the education is considered pretty good there. And we're going to rebuild this thing. I, if he can recruit through what he recruited through the, the last four years, five years, he'll be just fine. Do you think he talks to recruits like that while doing like burpees and push-ups? <laughs> so it, it's it's probably burpees or push-ups. He's not a big like jogger or elliptical guy. No cardio. No, no just a bad pure boy. Cardio for him. He's just a bad boy. He likes weights. Yeah. Yeah, he just likes to push the steel around a little bit. Ain't no thing. All right, that's that buyout life. Name a city, and Andy has eaten there. Choose a restaurant, and he'll break it down better than a cover two defense. Let's find out what's good. What's good? Andy Staples, Sports Illustrated. He likes to eat, and he's good at it. What's good? Herb's Pub in Hershey, Pennsylvania. H-E-R-B, my man Herb? No, Herb, I-R-V. You mean like Herb, like smoking pot? No, Herb. Oh, like Irv Gotti. Yes, Irv Gotti. Yes. <laughs> yes, he and, he and Ja Rule were there. No, wait. Baby! <laughs> Holla! No, so, yeah. Irv's Pub, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Great, you know, gastro pub, cocktail bar. They make a really nice Manhattan, barrel-aged Manhattan. And I appreciate this. They serve me the Manhattan in an old-fashioned glass, which the old-fashioned glass is far more manly than the Manhattan glass. Very much. So, I, like, nobody needs to know. You're a Manhattan guy? Nope. Is that? Is... I, 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 like, I actually prefer an old-fashioned, but they had a barrel-aged Manhattan that was their thing. They make their own cherry bitters. I was like, yeah, what the heck? Give it a try. Okay. Sometimes a little vermouth never hurt anybody. No, so, not at all. So so I have have that, and they had this tater tot appetizer. They call it tater tot nachos. It's tater tots with bacon cheese, like bacon cheddar sauce, and cilantro lime sour cream. I love cilantro. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. And, and look. I don't know what happened in, in my early life that made me not like tater tots that much, but for whatever reason, I just wasn't a big fan. It's a fried potato. How could I you know. Not- How can you not like it? I, I get it. And so I'm glad that there's been this this tater tot renaissance. Aren't we that, all? That people who run restaurants have figured out, 
oh, people who are getting drunk want to eat tater tots. Yeah, in in LA, it's also very trendy. Like if you have, if yeah. you're if you're at a hot club, you got to serve tater tots. Yeah, no, it's it's it, well, it's not just LA; it's all over the country. And so, yeah, I mean, these tater tots were awesome. And then I got a black truffle burger, so you know, burger, a little truffle oil, delicious uh, tomato jam, which is fancy word. That's what we're calling ketchup these days. Tomato, wait, legitimately? That's, that's what we're calling ketchup on burgers that cost more than twelve dollars. That's hilarious. So it's it's like garlic aioli for mayonnaise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What kind of cheese on your burger? Uh, Gruyere. I'm I'm a fan. Yeah. What kind of bun though? Brioche. See, didn't we talk about this? I'm not a big brioche guy. This was fine. This is good brioche. No, I my my go to bun if I have the choice is a pretzel roll. Yeah, that's what's up. Those are the best and. So because I'd already done potato-based carb dish, I replaced my fries with uh, with Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts tossed in a lemon vinaigrette with a little shaved Parmesan. Ooh, yeah. It was quality. And I was going to get dessert because I was in Hershey, PA, and I figured get some chocolate. And then I'm like, nah, I'll just have another Manhattan. So I drank Manhattan. I love how, I love how you said because I was in Hershey. We talked to you last week, and you just talked about dessert as well. You weren't in Hershey. <laughs> you were like in Tempe. I didn't, I didn't have dessert, so... <laughs> I just I just had another Manhattan because when in doubt, yeah, why not? But yeah, why not? So Irv's, Irv's and Hershey. Yep, that's right. And there's a there's a great breakfast place across the street called Hershey Pantry. Pantry. You Pantry. said that like you were literally born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. I know. I know. I, the, I It's weird how. So getting the southern accent beat out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. Left me with some weird speech patterns. So you do kind of I'm I'm going to be straight up with you. You're a little it's like a chameleon chameleon. Yeah, because my normal voice, I talk just like this. If I it, this is what I sounded like when I learned how to talk. So but then I moved to Key Largo, Florida, and everybody made fun of me. Right. So I started sounding like I was from Ohio. But occasionally I say things like pantry, <laughs> yeah. like I, like I'm from Pietric. Michigan. Yeah. 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 So it, it's very strange. And I don't know. Quite, I I wish I could get my southern accent back. You sound like a very masculine version of my mom. Hey, Patrick. Well, you can just look in the pantry. I don't if you're know what hungry. that says about your mom. I, well, it <laughs> says a lot about both of you. Hey, uh, but when you go, like when you went to Herbs, mm-hmm. and you're by yourself, do you do you post up at the bar? Yes. Sit yeah, at the bar. I'm a big yeah. bar guy. Yeah, if you're by yourself, sit at the bar. Yeah. Right. And no, and and there's that. Look, lots of people travel for work. By themselves, they're not on a team that travels. Sit at the bar. Nobody, nobody's gonna think less of you. If you want to play on your phone, play on your phone. You don't have anybody to talk to. Yeah. Uh, sit there and watch a game. I was watching, uh, watching the Friday night games. I think that was Western Kentucky and uh, Old Dominion were playing. So, but, Jason, but you're, you're Jason Horowitz on the call. Yeah, very good. You're a big family guy, kids and wife. You love them all. But isn't there something serene and wonderful about posting up at a bar, having a couple of cocktails and getting yes. some food? Yes, I have. I have come around on it because this has been, you know, a fairly constant for 15 years where I've, I've been on the road a lot and by myself. And and at first it's kind of sad because you're just used to, to eating being a social <laughs> thing right like you are talking to people and you're you're the family's around and all that but sometimes it's nice i, I love it i like being by myself sometimes yeah it's I, peaceful and you, I, you, you yeah i am an extrovert but there are times when i've i've had enough of the outside world just get lost at a bar yeah, yeah just sit there and, and you get a nice little buzz so this 
I did not plan it this way. I had no idea. But this Irv's place and this the Hershey Pantry uh, <laughs> happened to be like a three-tenth of a mile walk from my hotel. Like, I just booked the hotel because it was a good rate. I had no idea if there were good restaurants around or not. Right. And then as I'm searching through, hey, what's good in Hershey, it turned out that the two places are just right down the street. So, lucked out there. So, that's uh, – yeah, you don't have to worry about driving. You're, you're, you're walking distance to the hotel. you just there, you know. Love it. Sip a cocktail and you're good. You know what? You know what? And because it gets so much hate, and I, I get it. We we understand. We're we're married to our phones, but the smartphone is also made being alone not as lonely. So you're there yeah. and you're checking out scores and you're yeah, looking ahead. And, and sometimes they're longer stories that I've kind of put aside during the week because I didn't have time to sit there and read them. And I'll I'll go and read like the one I mentioned to you. I don't know if I mentioned to you on the podcast or I think it was on your show on the wrap where we were talking about the Baxter Holmes story about the Golden State Warriors offense and how it was basically created on a charcuterie yes. board. Yeah. And so that's the type of story I'd sit there and read, and that's a very pleasurable experience because in my job, Friday night, the hay's kind of in the barn. You've done all the work you're going to do leading up to a game, so that's your one chance to really kind of have a night off. And so there, I'm in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I don't know anybody there. I'm just chilling. Sipping a cocktail, reading reading the news. Check out Irv's. Get much better than that. If you're in Hershey, get the burger in a Manhattan from Irv's. That's right. Okay, here we go. Hey, do us a favor. We appreciate you uh, for spreading the word. Place at the Table podcast. Download and subscribe on iTunes. If you could, just leave a comment. We do appreciate it. Stitcher, Google Play, pattpodcast.com, uh, and at pattpodcast on Twitter. It's Andy Staples, SI, of course, Andy underscore Staples. Um, all right, so that's it. I mean, the the, the primetime games were absolute duds. I mean, the game right. you were at in Happy Valley, and then USC barely put up a fight against Notre Dame. But it's about to be on, and we'll have our preview of Week 9. It's about to go down next weekend. I cannot wait to preview this week. This week looks like a lot of fun. Are you going to be in Columbus? I will not. I am going to be in Jacksonville. Interesting. The world's largest outdoor cocktail Yeah, speaking cocktail of party. cocktails. That's right. Staples will be there with SI. Andy, last words. We only got two days between podcasts, Patrick. We're going to have to to store up some material. Don't make anything up. <laughs> yeah, don't, I don't say wanna have to. I don't want to have to distance myself from you in a press release. Don't, don't say one more word. Yeah, that is a weird story with McWayne. All right. We'll follow that and more to come. It's Place at the Table.